Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. You guys look good today. I haven't seen some of you in a while. Some of you are visiting with us. Some of you I haven't seen since um, last Easter, just saying. That's okay. We're glad you're here. We're here every Easter and Christmas. We do this, so. Hey, what do you say? Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into John chapter 1 today. Before we do, let, let's just pray and invite God to join us. Father, we recognize your presence here today. We recognize, Lord, that though we can't see you or touch you, that you're here, you're closer than we can imagine. That you're moving among us, that you care about us, that you can see into our hearts. And God, we invite you into this space. We invite you into our hearts. We invite you into this conversation today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, last Sunday night, um, I was just flipping through the TV channels. I, I don't know if you noticed, there's a game on. And, um, and uh, I don't know, I don't really pay attention to these things too much. So, between the game and the, during the commercials, I, I would flip over to um, ABC, and there just happened to be a Barbara Walters special on, you know me, and Barbara Walters specials, that's just how I like to spend my Sunday evening. So, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm flipping through, and and Barbara is, is, has this show on called The Ten Most Fascinating People of 2014. And I think, oh, this will be interesting. Who's she talking to? Well, Oprah at the time. So I flip there. She's on Oprah, and Oprah turned 60 this year. I'm sure all of you were really concerned about that. And, and so she, Barbara leans in. You know how she does. She, she always cuts to the personal stuff really quickly. So, so Oprah, you're not 60. Is there anything you regret? I mean, you've never had a family. You've never been married. You've never had kids. And we've talked about this over the years. Do you ever regret not having a family? And Oprah said, with absolute clarity, no. Like, if I had kids, I never could have done and experienced and seen and built what I've built. Like, there was no hesitation on her part. And and I get it. She was like, when I compare what I do with what a mom does... I would choose what I do every day. I was like, wow. She's very bold in that. Didn't think too much about it and just moved on and go back to the game. And soon the score was so out of this world that I just figured, well, I don't need to watch this anymore. So I flipped back and there was Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan, you guys know the football player, uh, gap in the teeth, talk show host. And Barbara does what she does. She gets right to the personal stuff. So you've been divorced two times now, and you've recently broke off an engagement to like a supermodel. Tell me about that. And he's like, well, I've had to make decisions in my life, and I found that I cannot choose a relationship and my career, that I have to choose my career. I'm like, wow. And then I go back to the game a little bit more, and then I come back again, and this time it's Taylor Swift. The woman who sings about love in every single song. Yes, someone who understands love and relationships. And, and Barbara asked her, so you sing about love in every single song. Like every song you write is about this romance. So tell me about your life, your romantic interests. She says, well, I actually don't have any relationships right now. Barbara said, well, what's going on? Well, why is that? And she says, well, I've had to make a decision between my career and relationships, between success and relationships. And over this time, and just those three that I saw, I didn't see the rest, sorry. 
This theme emerges among the 10 most fascinating people of 2014, and it is this. Relationships, real relationships, the ones that are dirty and significant and the ones that take part of your life, they stand in the way of our success. They ruin our ability to achieve what we want. They interfere. They slow us down. They're costly and hard. And if you want to be a fascinating person in our world, you can't have those types of relationships. You have to choose. You know, there's nothing fascinating about a mom wiping bottoms and changing diapers and snuggling little kids. Nothing fascinating. There's nothing fascinating about dad taking out the trash, working hard, providing for a family. There's nothing fascinating. They will never make a blockbuster movie about the couple that falls in love, is faithful and loving to one another forever, and nothing ever changes. They'll never make that movie. You know why? Because it's not fascinating. Our world doesn't care about it. You can have the best marriage in the world, be the best parent in the world, be the best friend in the world, and Barbara Walters will never interview you because nobody cares. Our world does not value relationships. Now we say we do. And to some extent we do. It's just when you measure it up, when you compare it, like Oprah did, like Michael did, like Taylor did, when you compare relationships like husband and wife, parent to child, friendships, when you compare those types of deep relationships with money, success, fame, all the things that the world can offer being fascinating. We don't value relationships at the same level. How else do you explain in our world the epidemic of no-fault divorces? So why did you get divorced? Well, they were holding me back. I couldn't be who I wanted to be. They didn't make me happy anymore. I couldn't pursue my career anymore. This happens by the millions in our world. How else do you explain the vast number of abortions in America each year. You know, the latest statistics we have are 2011. Let me tell you, there are 1,000, or 1,058,500 abortions in 2011. Take that in. 1,058,500. In 2011, there were only 3.9 million babies born in America. That's it. So out of every, out of every five children, four were born, and, and it's true, they were a trouble, and they were crying, and they just made their parents' life miserable, but one never saw the light of day. One was literally taken out with the trash. And if you ask, why are you getting an abortion? The answer is, the number one answer, that 790,000, three out of every four abortions responded this way, having a baby will interfere with work, school, or the ability to do what I want. Three out of four. Now, I'm not judging here. I understand. Kids interfere. They do. I mean, they are costly and expensive, and, and spouses, they interfere. They do. I mean, they, 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 do you know how good-looking and strong and smart and wealthy and, and brilliant and humble I would be? If I wasn't married and didn't have kids, I mean, I think I might be taller. (laughs) I'm not judging. I get it. Real relationships, those deep 
soul-forming, life-giving, self-giving relationships, they are hard. And the question is, relationships, spouses, kids, friends, they interfere with our plans, they hold us back from living life the way they want. And if I ask you, do you really want those types of relationships? Frankly, I don't know what you'd say, but Sometimes, if you really think about the cost of it, I don't know what the answer is. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been going here. Sorry, guys, who sit over here. I always favor my right. So next time, you know, sit over here. Easter. Um, so the last couple of weeks, I'll, I'll talk to you today. The last couple of weeks, we've been coming here to the island of Patmos. And so if you were to get in a boat off the shore of, of Turkey there and start paddling, Just a little ways off Turkey, you run into this Greek isle, the Isle of Patmos. And about 90-something AD, if you were to go to this God-forsaken island in the middle of nowhere, there, living in a cave, this is the traditional site here, was a man named John. Like, he's an artifact. He is is the last of the twelve disciples. He's the last one, and and, and at this time, he would have looked terrible he was as old as could be, as old as dirt. And, and they say that he had, when he had refused to recant Jesus, they actually took him and they put him in a cauldron of boiling oil. When he miraculously survived, they didn't know what to do with him, so they shipped him off. They exiled him to the island of Patmos. And there, if you went to this island around 90-something AD, you would go there and you would find this old, gnarly, nasty man named John who's seen things. Seen things that he can't explain seen things that he can't not tell about. And for the past two weeks, we've come there and we sat by this fire and we looked at this gnarly old man and we heard his story. He said, John, tell me the stories. I got to hear these. And we came to John and we brought our questions. John, I don't understand this whole meaning of the universe stuff. You're, you're going to have to explain something to me, John. John, I don't know how we can possibly know a God who does not exist in space and time. How is that possible? And we brought our big, troubling Sometimes scary questions and doubts to this man. And he told us his Christmas story. It's from John chapter 1. And John has some things to say about Christmas that no commercial, no shopping mall, no one else is talking about. John seems to think that Christmas, the coming of this man named Jesus Christ into our world, answers life's biggest questions. And it started out this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Like in the first week, we talked about God exists, John says, in an unimaginable, indescribable spiritual dimension. His word, his self-expression is the source of all things. That if we only had eyes to see, when we looked up at the stars, when we saw the sunset, when we saw the sunrise this morning, did you see it? It was fantastic. John said, that's the word crying out to the glory of God that all things that are, that exist, are in him and through him and for him. Though, Though he is not in creation, all creation is sustained and created by him. And then last week, he said the climax of it. 
verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That the very word of God, the thing that, that all connects all things, the thing that is under and in and through all things, the, the meaning of the universe, the source of all things, that became incarnate in flesh. So that we can know the one true God. That Jesus is the word made flesh. That through him we see reality as it is. In him we touch the author of life. The meaning, the beauty, the goodness. That through him we can know God personally. And so you sit there and you say to John. John, if this is true. If it's true that, that God took on flesh. And that we can know him. This should be the biggest news ever. It should be the good news. This should change everything. I mean, this should cut history in half. In fact, from now on, we should mark history before this happened and after this happened, the year of our Lord A.D. That if Jesus is the word, Jesus is not just a way to God. He is the way. He's the only way possible that you could know a God who exists outside of space and time. He is it. He's the revelation of God. He's not just True. He's truth. Like he creates and defines reality. He's not just alive. In him is life. That all life, you and me and duck-billed platypuses and Amazonian tree frogs and whatever. It's in him. He's the source of life. That he's not just beautiful. He's beauty. He's not just strong. He's strength. He's not just loving. He's love. Do you get it? Like everything, he's the source of all things. If, if you find beauty out there, it's because of him. If you find goodness out there, it's because of him. If you know any truth, it's because of him. And so we say, John, we've got more questions. And John's like, no, no, I'm done answering questions. This week's different. Like the last two weeks, we've taken all your questions and all your doubts, but this week, I have a question for you. If you could know God, if you could know Him personally, if you could have a deep, self-giving, soul-forming relationship with God, would you want to? Do you know how costly relationships are? John chapter 1, starting in verse 9, John says this. For the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light, we talked about this last week. Jesus is the true light. He, he shines the light. He, he reveals God. He's the true way of knowing God. That if you know Jesus, you know God. But Jesus coming into the world not only sheds light on God, he gives light to everyone, to everything. So let's put it this way. The author C.S. Lewis says it as he says many things, well. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You understand? This is what John is saying, that when Jesus comes into the world, that he gives us insight into all the great questions of life. What is ultimate? What does it mean to be human? Why am I here? What is justice? What is beauty? Who am I? See, Jesus shines light. He gives, us, he gives us a perspective on the whole universe, on the whole of life, but not everyone sees it this way. Verse 10, you see, he was in the world. He came. He revealed God. He revealed the true nature of things. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, 
The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I don't want you to miss what John is saying here. That the biggest event in human history, in history, God becoming flesh. He was in the world. He was here. He came to the very people he created. He came to the very universe that he created. And his creation did not receive him. His world did not recognize him. And we have to ask the question, how is it possible that God himself could show up and not be recognized? So there's a famous philosopher, atheist, mathematician guy and pipe smoker, Bertrand Russell. And died in about 1970. And he wrote the famous book, Why I Am Not a Christian. And one day someone said to him, you know, Bertrand, just say, just pretend, one day you die and you're standing before God and he asks you to give an account for your unbelief. What would you possibly say then, sir? And Russell said, sir, I would look at God and say, why did you, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? Is that what this means? Is that what it means that the world did not recognize him? Did they not recognize him because because he was hiding? I have a friend, acquaintance, friend named Patrick. And Patrick is what I call a devout agnostic. Do you know what agnostic means? It's a Greek word meaning I don't know. But he's devout in saying, I don't know. In fact, he's devout. He's committed to the belief that, that no one can know God. And he's kind of on this campaign that you sh- cannot know anything about God. And he wants to prove it to everyone. So we would have these lengthy conversations. And one day, he, was, he just said to me, Paul, if there is a God, he's hiding. No one can see him. And so I asked, you know, what would God have to do to prove his presence to you? I mean, would it be enough if maybe he parted this ocean, the sea? Someone's got a baby. You might want to check on it. If he sent a crying baby. No. If, if God parted an ocean, would that be enough? I was like, he's done that. What if he sent like fire down from heaven? Would that be enough? You know, he's done that. What if he gave us a book that recorded in great detail what he's like and how he's acted in human history? He, he's done that. Like, what more must God do to prove himself to you? And Patrick said, if God, if there is a God, why doesn't he just show up and say, here I am, believe in me? To which I said, have you heard of Jesus? No, God is not hiding. He is not hidden from us. He he has revealed himself again and again. And ultimately in Jesus, he showed up. He came to the world and said, here I am. But the world did not recognize him. It literally did not know him. Now there's something a little bit missing here. It sounds a little bit like, you know, I just didn't know him. Like, how can you blame me? I didn't know him. I mean, how was I supposed to know that, that that carpenter's son was actually God in the flesh? It's like someone comes to the door and you're like, oh, I just didn't recognize you. It was dark, I don't know, wearing a funny hat. Did you do something different with your hair? No. Now, the word here, the word no, translated no, in English, 
In Hebrew and in Greek, it has a, a bit of a different nuance. It's yada for those who want to know. And, and in Hebrew and gnosko in Greek. And let me tell you what, what this means. It's, it's much more than just a comprehending of an intellectual concept. So Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Do you remember this story? This is the story of the nativity. So Joseph, he wants to get married to this beautiful young thing named Mary. And then he finds out through the rumor mill... She's pregnant. So what's he do? He's like, I'm not going through with this. But he's, he's a respectable man. He's just going to put her away quietly. And then suddenly an angel shows up to him and says, this is not immorality. This is Emmanuel. Like God did this to her. You, you just need to go with this, Joseph. And Joseph, a man of great faith, goes ahead with it. And then it says this. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Well, that's funny. You, you didn't know her? So Joseph, who is that pregnant woman on your donkey? He's like, I don't know. She just keeps following me around. Is that what that means? No, he knew her. He knew she was married. He knew all kinds of stuff about her, but he didn't know her. He didn't know her as a husband knows a wife. That there's a relational knowing that's so much deeper than just in your mind. That in, in Genesis chapter 4, what does it say? Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. That there's a biblical knowing that the consummation of relationship is knowing and being known. And we're not just talking to know facts about someone. I just spit. That's how passionate it was. Lights emphasize that. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. God knows Moses. He speaks to him face to face. Yada. Psalm 139, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you yada, you know me. You yada, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You are with me all the time. You know everything about me. You know what I'm thinking about when no one else does. You know everything wrong with me. And you love me anyways. Yada in Hebrew. In Greek, is Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul comes up with a list. Kind of like Oprah's list. A list of all of his successes, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of this, of this, this, this Pharisee among Pharisees, among the law, flawless. Like, I've done it all. Let me show you all my victories and set them up like trophies so you can see how great I am. But when I compare them to Christ, I consider them scuba. That is a curse word, a foul word. It's trash, it's rubbish, it's human excrement. What do you want, Paul? What do you want? He says, Verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know, Gnosko, Christ. Like, what are you talking about, Paul? You know Christ. You, you met him on the road to Damascus. You've seen him. You've had out-of-the-body experiences. You know, you wrote most of the New Testament. You're greedy. That's what you are. He says, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. That there's a depth of relational knowing. That there will be no bottom to that end. That, that you can go forever and know him deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, Jesus came to the world. But the world did not know him. You know, uh, 
I can know a lot about Barack Obama. I can know his favorite foods, name of his dog. I can know what he and Michelle like to do, the type of dances they like to do, his favorite beer. I can know all kinds of things about Barack Obama. But if I saw him on the street and I was like, Barry, it's me, it's me. And I ran up to him. Do you know what would happen? Men with big guns and, and vests would throw me on the ground and put their knee on my chest. You know why? Because I know stuff about Barack Obama. I do not know Barry. You see, he was in the world, and though the world made, he was made through him, the world did not know him. John seems to think, he seems to say that you can technically know the facts about Jesus Christ. You can see all the evidences that everyone else sees. You can see what he did and who he was, and you can still not know him. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. At the end of John's gospel, there's this poignant scene. I mean, it is powerful. Jesus is dying on the cross. Like his life, his, some of his last words. And who's, who's there? There's a couple of Marys, right? There's, there's his, his mom, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas. I'm not sure who, who she is. Mary Magdalene and John. So these women and John, they're sitting there. And what does Jesus do in his last moments, his last breaths? He looks down at his mom and he says, Mom, woman. Behold your son. John's going to take care of you now. And he looks at John and says, John, I'm dying. Behold your mother. John, I need you to take care of my mom because I'm not going to be here physically anymore. And it says, from that time on, the disciple, John, took her into his home. Literally took her as his own This is the exact same wording there and here. That when Jesus showed up, he came to his home, his own. But his own, his family, did not receive him. Like this is supposed to make you throw up. It's the image of Jesus showing up, knocking on the door at his own home that he built with his own family. And they say, I don't know you. You're not welcome here. I don't hear anyone throwing up right now, so let me explain this a little. In this culture, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, specifically in Judaism, specifically in Palestine, ancient Israel, hospitality was paramount. People would spend an outrageous fortune to take care of a complete stranger. If you took a complete stranger into your home and they were your guest, you would risk everything, even your own life, to protect them. And some of you know that this still goes on in many cultures today. Uh, If you've seen the movie or read the book, Lone Survivor, you know about the SEAL team that goes into the hill country of Afghanistan, chasing out, scooping out the Taliban. And what happens? Well, they all get killed by the Taliban except one. There's a lone survivor. How did he survive? It wasn't because he was so great. It was because some villager took him in as a stranger into his home. And when the Taliban came after him, the whole village said, We're not going to let this happen. We will die for him. Why? Because our code of honor says that hospitality is bigger than our life. We will die for a stranger. That's John's world. 
It's a world that values hospitality to the point of death. The thought then of someone coming to his own home, to his own family, and not being received, it's an unthinkable horror. See, everything that exists, every person, every tree, every nation, every star in the sky, everything you touch and smell and hear and think about, it's his. He created it. This is his world. He is the word in and through and before all things. This is his world, whether we like it or not. The the great theologian and and politician Abraham Kuyper says it this way. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This is his home. We are his. Everything we have is ultimately by him and for him and unto him. And what happens when he comes to his home? You're not welcome here. Like you just can't come to my workplace. Jesus is not okay in a workplace. Like you just can't be part of our school. People will be offended. What will they think? You can't be part of our discussions of science. They'll think we're fanatics. You can't be part of our government. No, no, that's just the way laws are written. You can't be part of our government. You can't be part of our hospital. We don't even want chaplains praying in the name of Jesus. You can't be part of our shopping malls or our news programs. And you're not welcome in my personal finances. You can't tell me how to make my decisions. You can't tell me about my career. You can't tell me what entertainment's okay. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome in my living room, in my kitchen, or in my bedroom. You're not welcome here. Do you understand? We live in a world in which all references to Jesus Christ have been redacted from the public sphere. Do you understand? We live in a world that has wiped clean every reference to God and his glory. Why? Because he is not welcome here. He came. But we didn't know him. And we didn't want him. Yet. Yet there are some A few, not many. Most of them got boiled in a pot of oil. Most of them died. But there were a few who did receive him. And to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Children not born of natural descent, not like just having kids. Children not born of a human decision, You can't choose to to cross space and time and somehow break out of it. Choose not, uh, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision nor a husband's will, but born of God. God alone can do this work. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable. This is where John says, this is what I've been meaning to ask you for the last three weeks. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about this great and glorious God. And how he is unavoidable. He's everywhere. And whether you like it or not, your life and everything you have is in him and for him and to him. And if you don't believe that now, you will someday. And so I have a question for you. If you could know him personally. If you could have a deep, 
self-giving, soul-forming relationship with him, will you want it? Will you want to receive him? Will you want to welcome him into your life and into your work? Do you want Jesus at work? Into your studies? Into your grocery store? Into your TV watching? Do you want him watching Barbara Walters with you? Most people don't want this. Do you want to believe in his name? Do you want to trust him with your life and your success and your money? Do you want him to be able to tell you what to do? Do you want him to be able to tell you where to work and and how to look and, and who to be in a relationship with? Most people don't want this. You see, relationships, they're hard. And I'm not going to pretend like they're not. They're hard. They're time-consuming, whether it's with a spouse or kids or friends or God. They're demanding and they limit your freedom. They suck your time, your energy, your life. It's true. And a relationship with God will interfere with your plans. It will. It will hold you back from living the life that you want. It's going to be hard. It's costly. It's limiting. And if you want to be in a relationship with God, the chances are you will never be fascinating. But here's the deal. God doesn't seem to think relationships are optional. God is not just like a fan of relationships. God is a relationship. It's not like he's, he just wants to start a family. It's like he is a family. The, the Christian God, the essence of uncreated reality, what we're talking about here, that which is the source and the ultimate end of all things, we believe from the Bible, from what Jesus has said, that there is one God who exists in three persons. That there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally, self-giving, other-centered, eternally loving in relationship with one another. These three persons who are eternally about one another, that this one God is the source of all life, that without him, beginning and end, life starts there and ends there. Everything is in him. So let me restate this. A relationship with God is not a nice social custom or social construct to make you feel better. That's what Oprah is for. It's not an accessory to life. It is life, John says. A relationship with God is the whole point of creation. So to put it this way, a relationship with God is why you exist. It's what you're made to do. It's why you long for beauty and significance. It's why you hate injustice. It's why you want to know that your life means something and is part of something bigger. And John says this life This life can only be found in God and you can know him personally and you can have this life. You can be part of it. You can have a deep, self-giving, soul-forming relationship with him. You can be part of the family. You can have the right to become a child of God. Do you understand? A child of God, that Jesus' inheritance, he wants to share it with you. That you can be a child of God, that that he wants to teach you to love like he loves and live like he lives. He wants to discipline you, that he wants to love you without condition or expiration, that he'll never leave you or abandon you. Jesus came to show us real life, and then he died the death that we deserve, and now he lives, and he has come for you and me, and this is ours to have, and the question is, is do we want it? Can't earn it, you can just receive it. Uh, If you're a Christian right now, 
If you've done this before, you're probably sitting there thinking, yes, it's Christmas. Give it to him, Paul. Make him receive it. Make him believe it. And it's true. If you, are, if you don't consider yourself a Christian in here, I, obviously, there's nothing we can force. You, you have to be born of God. But I, you, you need to receive this. You need to believe this. It is, it's not just an aspect of life. It is life. Like it's, it's the only thing that can make sense of everything. That, to receive it. That, I've been a Christian, let's see, 25, 26 years now. That I prayed, God, I, I receive you into my life. You are Lord of my life. You are my Savior. And I believe that Jesus died for me, that, that he rose from the dead, that he is king eternal, that he is the word. Now, did I know all this about spiritual dimensions and stuff? I didn't. But what I knew, I gave to him. And I accepted it. And I'm telling you, that, that's what you need to do if you're not a Christian. But the fact of the matter is, is that I've been a Christian for 25, 26 years now. And I find that I still have to pray this every day. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. My perverted heart. But every day I find myself, Jesus coming. I'm like, why are you here? Did I say you could come into this part? Every day I have to receive him. Like, okay. I'm going to give you my time. And I'm going to give you this relationship. And I'm going to give you what I think is success. And I'm going to give you my kids, and I'm going to give you my spouse, and I'm going to give you my church, and I'm going to give you this sermon today. And every day I have to pray that stinking prayer again. And every day I have to believe in his name. Like, it's not a once and done. It's like, it's the only way I can live. Like, I have to tell myself in this world where his name has been scrubbed from everything. Where where you won't find God anywhere in our world. We won't talk about him. He doesn't exist in our world, right? Every day I have to say, I do believe. I believe. I believe. I believe that he died for me. I believe that, that my value in world is not based on my performance, but it's based on his love. I have to say, I do believe, and I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. And when I compare everything else to knowing him, I want to know him. So whether you've prayed this never before, or you've prayed it like me thousands of times, I just want to encourage everyone. If you would close your eyes and let's, let's pray. Father, I do not understand your love for us. I do not understand your relationship with the Son and the Spirit and this eternal thing we call the trinity god i don't understand all that and i don't understand why you would send your son to come after us and i don't understand how god becomes a man and i don't understand so much lord but 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 god i i just trust that my understanding is not the thing that's going to hold together my salvation or my life or in my forgiveness god i i just receive you i welcome you into my life today lord again God, I pray that that those who are here today, that they would open the doors of their hearts, Lord. And if there there are places in their life that they're keeping from you, God, I pray that even right now they would open those up and they would welcome you in. God, we know that over everything is the word mine. And God, we give it to you now. God, we pray 
just a prayer of faith. We believe that our existence and our life and our meaning does not come from what we do or achieve, but it comes from Jesus Christ alone. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.